This episode is brought to you by Greg Morris Cards, one of the largest sports card sellers on the planet. Greg sells over 80,000 vintage and modern cards every month, including basketball, football, baseball, hockey, all sports really. And the best part is anyone can take advantage of GMC's platform by signing up for consignment services. What are you waiting for? Head on over to gregmorriscards.com consignment and start moving your cards with Greg Morris today. What's up, everyone? This is episode 251 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle. And as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast, and my X account is at Wax Museum PC. So, some sad news to start today. Uh, last week, we lost. Another player from the 72 top set, a set that I've talked about quite a bit on this show before. George McGinnis passed away at the age of 73, and I've been lucky enough to meet three or four of the old ABA Pacers, and you've even heard from a couple of them on this show, but unfortunately, I never crossed paths with George. Nonetheless, that didn't stop me from talking about him around the people that knew him, and I think I told this story in one of the first few episodes of this show, but This, I believe, is a fitting time to run through it again. Back in 2013, I ran into Hubie Brown at a Bobcats Heat game in Charlotte. Now, I say I ran into him, but it wasn't necessarily accidental. I wanted to find him, and getting to him wasn't easy. And Usher kind of tried to redirect me the first time I, I spotted him, and I tried to get to him. So, after a little maneuvering... I was able to get to a spot where I called for him and he motioned me out. And all the ushers could really do at that point was just stand and watch. So I knew my time with Hubie was very limited. I didn't want to escalate things with the ushers. I knew Hubie was there to do a job. And obviously I had nothing to do with that work. I was just a fan. I figured my best approach to getting his attention for a minute or two would be to ask him something ABA related. So we exchanged greetings. And I went right into my question, when's George McGinnis getting into the Hall of Fame? Now, I won't attempt a Hubie Brown imitation here, but you can kind of imagine him saying this in his normal cadence. He said, hopefully soon. And then he continued, I tell you what, if I wanted to win one game, I would have picked Julius. If I wanted to win a three-game series, I'll take Big Mac. And that was really all I needed in that moment. It was good to hear someone who knew the game give George the respect he deserved, and eventually the Hall of Fame did as well when he was inducted back in 2017. And you know what? I've got to give Panini credit too, because there was a stretch in their first handful of years where they made some real nice ABA-themed inserts and autograph sets, primarily in Threads and National Treasures, which was nice because you had a low-end one, and then you had a high-end version as well. And George was always included in those, so kudos to Panini for that. And hopefully I'll have some time in the next week to get some pictures of those up on social media if I haven't done so already. But uh, George McGinnis, unfortunately gone too soon. All right, I've got something a little different for you today. Over the last couple of years, Fanatics has really pushed their way into the sports card world. And it's no secret that I have not been a big fan of that stuff that they've done so far. Regardless this is the situation we're in. It's it's not going to change, right? So I figure a lot of the stuff happening in baseball right now is indicative of what we might eventually see in the world of basketball cards as well. So why not bring on a seasoned baseball collector to help me run through all the things we've seen so far? And that's exactly what I did for today's episode. Eric and I chatted for a couple of hours earlier this week And I pieced together some of the more important parts of that conversation to share with you in today's main segment. So you'll want to make sure to stay tuned for that. But first, I have to talk about a package I received in the mail this week. I wasn't planning on doing a formal mail segment, but I got a surprise package from Jake Roy. He's been on the show before. You're probably familiar with his YouTube channel, 90s B-Ball Cards. But anyway, Jake sent me a picture last week 
um, on Instagram of two 2000-2001 Allen Iverson Topps Heritage Retrofractors, which is a set that I'm working on. And he said something to the effect of, hey, look what I found in my Iverson box. I had no idea that I had two of these. So I asked, you know, if I could buy one of them off of him. And he asked for my address in response. I So I tried again, hey, what what do you want for this? What do you, you know, how can I buy this off of you? How much? And that conversation wasn't getting anywhere. So not long after, a pretty large bubble mailer showed up in my mailbox. It had some nice Pacers Prism cards for my silver binders. It had the Iverson Retrofractor for the set that I'm working on. And then it had something I definitely wasn't expecting. It was a yellow, kind of a hot rod toy from the 90s with Reggie Miller sticking out of the top. And it was made by Mattel, but it, it was Hot Wheels branded. But I didn't want to lead with that because it's it's larger than the normal Hot Wheels cars that you might have played with when you were younger. Maybe you still play with now. I don't know. But um, I remember seeing these in stores, but I never had the Reggie. And I probably could never find it because as you might imagine... It was a pretty popular toy in Indiana. Uh, guys like Alan Houston were not. So those were the ones that just hung out on the pegs at the store. Anyway, I have the Reggie now, thanks to Jake. And if you're interested in seeing that, there's a video of me unboxing that on my YouTube channel. Obviously, while you're there, take some time to check out Jake's channel as well, if you haven't done so already. So uh, thank you once again for that, Jake. All right, before I move into today's conversation, I want to remind you that this show is brought to you in part by ComC.com, your home for buying, selling, flipping, and grading now too. From now until December 31st, ComC is offering $2 off all PSA value and CGC bulk subs. Or maybe you've got some graded stuff in your inventory already. Feel free to take advantage of their no minimum auction event. For more information about either of these promos, Head on over to comc.com today. Okay, and then real quick, some of you have asked me for ways you can help support this show. The easiest way is my eBay affiliate link. And using this link costs you absolutely nothing, just an extra 30 seconds or so of your time, but it helps support the show. To access this link, simply go to waxmuseumpodcast.com, click the eBay logo, shop as planned, so whatever you are going to buy anyway, just click my link first, and the show gets a small commission in the process. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. Hey everybody, Boston Steve here, the Northeast correspondent, checking in from the city of a winning basketball team, and you are listening to the Wax Museum Podcast. Okay, so joining me today is someone you might be familiar with if you spent any time on the blowout forums or the baseball card world on Twitter, where he posts under the handle at those back pages. And Eric, I, we talked about this a little bit before we hopped on here, but I, I think there's a slight chance we could have met at the 2019 National where we, some of us blowout posters kind of had a spot on the wall. I'm not 100% sure. I know I've seen you walking around though. Obviously a lot has changed in the card world since then. And if I would have predicted to you back in 2019 that Panini was going to essentially lose every major license and in the same time Tops was going to get bought out, what do you think your response would have been to that? No way that happens. That would have been my immediate response. And yet here we are a mere four years later and everything's done a 180 for the most part. Yeah. You know, we talk about like dog years, right? Every, every year is like seven years. These last four or five years in the hobby have kind of been like that as well when it comes to changes. And, um, you know, it's hard to believe that all this has gone down along the way. Tops has given us a never ending list of topics to talk about. Um, <laughs> I recognize a lot of the things happening with baseball right now could be indicative of what we might see in basketball later on. So I definitely think that's worth following. And a couple months ago, I started making a list of events or situations I thought were noteworthy with the intentions of bringing a baseball guy on like yourself to help me process that. So thank you, Eric. I appreciate you coming on today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Before we get too far down that road, though, because once we go there, there's no stopping. I want to get some more context about you. I feel like it's a good idea for us to run through your collecting history. That way we can kind of see where you're coming from. So tell us about how you got started. Give us some key points along the way. And then maybe you could even share some items that you're pursuing today. Sure, sure. Uh, I'll try to give you the cliff notes so we're not here all day. I was born in 71. 
So I'm fortunate enough to have grown up in an age where Star Wars was a thing. And I was able to see the original Star Wars over 20 times in the theater when it came out. So what we did back then, you wanted your kids to shut up. You took them to the movies. It was cheap. Around that time, my mother and I were living with her best friend and her son. We all lived together. And somewhere along the line, someone had brought in a, a full wax box of 77 Star Wars Series 2 tops. We split the box in half. My best friend, John, and I at the time, and we each got 18 packs. We ripped them open, chewed the gum, probably stuffed as much gum as we could in our mouth at the same time. That was my first experience with cards. Uh, I wouldn't say I was enamored, but I appreciated them. And I probably at the time being six years old, I liked the gum more than the cards. Flash forward a couple of years to 1980, uh, my mother and I were living on our own and I was what was called then a latchkey kid. So I would come home from school with the key, you know, around your neck and you'd want to open the door and go in, lock the door behind you, you know, while your parent was out work. What I would do is I would get home from school, have a snack or whatever, and I would take my baseball cards, my 1980 tops. I would remove the Mets because I fortunately, I guess depending how you look at it, I am a Mets fan. And I would take the rest of the cards, spread them out on the wooden floor, practice my sliding for baseball. So I'd run down the hall, slide on them. Who knows how many Ricky Hendersons were in the pile? Nolan Ryans, et cetera. No idea. It didn't matter when you were nine. It's like the, the updated version of the bicycle spokes then. Yeah, that's exactly that. Yeah, it is a good way. And I think it, I also did that as well. But I have the very vivid memories of practicing sliding in the hallway on the cards. You know, I always had the baseball cards in my life. And then I remember my first full box by myself was a box of 1981 Donruss baseball. And I purchased that from the local Tiamo, which was a magazine slash tobacco store. And I remember vividly getting it on my bike, going by, bringing it home, opening it up, pulling out all the Mets. The Mookie Wilson always stuck out to me for some reason. And then it was around that time that I started going to card shows. I grew up in Queens, New York, so there was a local card show once a month, and I would save up my money, you know, my allowance money, mowing lawns, same thing everyone did at the time, and go to the show, look at singles, and I would have my allotted amount of money to spend, and if I came home with zero dollars, no big deal. I got cards, I'm happy. Depending on how old you are when you're listening to this, things were so much different then. Now we're talking 84, 85, certainly in 86. You could essentially collect everything. I didn't collect just baseball. I bought all the sports. I vividly remember in 86 paying $1 a pack on the low, hush hush for 86 clear basketball. You bought them, but you didn't really tell anybody. I personally collected all the sports and I liked basketball a lot at the time. So I was buying those packs. I actually did wind up putting the set together via packs. I was going to say, were you a Knicks fan? No, I liked the Sixers then. I the was Sixers, Bar okay. So not Six not not the Ewing rookie. That's not what you were chasing then. No, it was the Barkley because I'm a larger fella. So I was always <laughs> intrigued by the round mound of rebound. So in 85, I grew up an Islander fan. My godfather had season tickets when the Islanders started on Long Island. So, I, you know, I went to the playoffs when they won the four cups in a row. And Billy Smith was my favorite player. So when 85 tops came out, 85 was kind of like a watershed year mark for me because I was 14. So I was getting a decent allowance. I was doing chores and everything else to get more money to spend on cards. And I was in seventh grade each day. On the way to school, I would go past a convenience store, candy store, and they would sell packs. So 85 Tops Baseball, I would buy probably, I think there were 40 cents a pack. So I would buy five packs as often as I could. And I would take them to the schoolyard and open them with my friend Corey, who never really got into collecting. It's, just, it's a gene. I believe it's a gene. You're born with it. You can't teach somebody to be a collector. 100%. I've talked about that on this show before. I agree with you. But he enjoyed opening and chewing the gum and looking through the cards. And then he would just give me the cards and I would take them home. I mean, it got to the point where we opened so many packs that we knew that if you got a Gorman Thomas early enough in the pack, you were going to get the good. In. So you learn the sequence by opening enough packs. So then when hockey came out, did the same thing, looking for Billy Smith, looking for Billy Smith. I must have opened three boxes worth of Topps hockey. And now remember, and this is important, that Topps hockey was like a 165 card set. It was a very small set compared to baseball. And I opened and I opened and I opened and I opened and I never got Billy Smith. It wasn't until later on, he wasn't even on the checklist. Hmm. Like, he never was on the checklist, but I didn't know, so I just kept doping. So at one point, I had, like, that's Lemieux's rookie year. So at one point, I had a full sheet of Lemieux. Right, but but not your guy, though. Not who you wanted. Right. Not the guy I was opening the packs to get. They had a checklist, but I never read it. So it's like, it worked out. And then, you know, the quote-unquote junk wax era came around, and again, you could buy, even in, in the 80s, up until 
when I think it was around 90 after Shaq in 92 with Shaq is when it really started to get, man, you know what? I can't really get everything. It's to buy boxes of everything really got to be difficult. So if you liked all the sports, <laughs> you kind of had to make some concessions. It was starting to get really overwhelming. And then I was a big, big, big hockey guy in the mid nineties. And I had become really enamored with Joe Sackick. And it was eye opener for me was when 96 Pinnacle Hockey came out. And that was the first time that printing plates had been inserted in packs. So Joe Sack had four printing plates. And I sat down one day and I was like, man, these Pinnacle plates are one of one. They're one in how many thousands of packs. That was the first time I realized, you know what? I'm not going to own all four. And that really put a lot of things into perspective for me. And I was starting to realize how much all of this cost because, you know, stuff was still getting versus today. It's cheap. But at the time in 97 is when we really started, you know, upper deck game used jerseys were a thing. Sackick actually has one. Michael got one in 97. And all these things started to get really crazy. And, you know, I was 26 at the time. So I started to get uh, other interests. Right. So. I kind of pulled away from cards and I kind of retired. I like to call that my first retirement from collecting. Hey, Michael retired. I can retire. Right. Right. Everyone's got one and it seems to be around 20 or in the 20s. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, life went on, did some other things, other interests, and then life events happened without getting into details. I was spending a lot of time uh, cooped up in 2003. was taking care of someone and looking at eBay and like, oh, look at this. There's this guy. You know, Mets fans, oh, David Wright, David Wright. Because you've got that gene. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So I was like, well, David Wright has these 2002 Bowman Chrome autos, and they're like 30 bucks. David Wright, future Mets, great, you know, prospect, blah, blah. I wound up picking up probably 10 of them or so and just putting them away. And then I lost interest again briefly. And then in, in 2005, and I think a lot of your listeners will resonate with this, I moved. Okay. I had lived in the same place from 87 until 2005. Mm-hmm. I moved. So it's it's judgment day for all your stuff. Yeah, it's judgment day. And it's also this might be a, a, a bad analogy, but it's an analogy nonetheless. Like I, I had to handle the syringe. Mm-hmm. I had to physically touch my collectibles again, which I hadn't. They were in a room and I hadn't bothered with. Oh, it's it's what the the pandemic era did for a lot of people too. That's very that is a very good point. So, in the process of you know dumping a, bu- a bunch of base and everything else, you know, I ran across those David Wrights. I was like, oh wow, yeah. And 2006, David Wright kind of blew up. You know, the Mets were good; they were making the postseason. I wound up selling those David Wrights for hundreds of dollars. The process of of moving everything and, and condensing and everything, and I got the fever again. And I, I, I went back on eBay, right? So when I had gotten out in 97, 98, PSA was well established because they were probably six or seven years old at the time. But we're talking expensive. Mm-hmm. Like slabs in, in the 90s were very, very expensive, not just to get them done, but to buy them. So it was not something that was ever in my price range. Now we're talking six, seven years later. Let me look at eBay. I'm like, wow, what happened here? Why are they, these are cheap now? Why are these PSA non the not tens? Why are these so cheap? And then I learned about the correction. You know, we had the, the hobby has always has a correction because nothing in the hobby is always an up and to the right on a chart at all times. So I started to do some research and I'm like, oh, look at 89 Griffey. Why is this PSA 9 50 bucks and a PSA 10, I think it was three or 400 bucks at the time. Like, that's quite a discrepancy. For something that if you take both these cards and you put them at arm's length, you really, other than centering, you're not going to notice the difference. Is my hobby dollar going to go further buying this nine and then using the 150 for another card I don't have created? I wound up buying that the Griffey for 50 and then taking the $150 I had left over from not buying a 10 and bought a PSA 9 Ricky Henderson rookie. So the collecting graded bug was instilled in me. Like I'm a big proponent for collecting graded. I understand both sides. And I was able to find this niche. And around that time, not too long after this, is when eBay implemented the thumbnail. Because I don't know how long you've been on eBay, but there was a time where you searched eBay, there was no thumbnail. It was just a link to open the listing. Yeah, I think I just hit my 22-year mark on eBay. So I I sent a few uh, money orders. I sent 
Uh, sure. I sent cash yeah. on some occasions yeah. too. No issues, by the way. None. So you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. So when the thumbnail came around, you could see the listing. And if you know BGS Labs, you can see if it has a nine subgrade. So you didn't even have to, I didn't even have to bother opening. If it had a, th- a nine subgrade, I wasn't interested. I wound up taking a lot of those. Like I bought the Kobe Tops Chrome for 500, 95. A LeBron Tops Chrome, 95 for 300. Durant was like 100 bucks. You, this was probably in 2012, 13, somewhere around there. You know, you collect long enough, you start, you know, widening the net, as I like to say. PSA was so different then because if you had a membership, you get a voucher for 15 submission. And what you could do back then is use those for crossovers. What I wound up doing is I took the Kobe, the LeBron, the Durant, and I crossed them over and it crossed over to PSA 10s. No problem. I've always been a big fan of rookie cards. So that just enabled me to find another venue to collect them pretty much on and off since 05. I've been doing this and here we are. And here we are. So now, obviously, a lot has changed since you started and uh, really a lot has changed in the last year. And, and when I say that, I don't want people to think that change equals bad. Okay, There, right. there can be good changes as well. Uh, I mentioned earlier that I drafted up a list of all the major changes and situations, for lack of a better term, that have happened during this brief Fanatics run. We'll get to the innovations here shortly, but we have to spend a little bit of time on the mistakes. And I'm not talking about those decisions or initiatives that people just didn't like. Uh, There will be plenty of that later on. I'm talking about things that happened that Fanatics acknowledged were not supposed to take place. One of which being a situation that came up this past weekend where duplicate superfractors showed up on eBay, or at least what seemed like duplicates. And um, the company has since addressed it and, and they noted there, I think there was a printing error and they were supposed to get thrown out and they weren't. Um, it's my understanding they were stolen from the factory. This type of stuff happened for decades. So am I missing anything here? Do you make much of this? I'm in the same camp with you. I mean, like you said, it's been going on in different forms, like uncut sheets, backdoored and stuff like that. This is not something new. I could see how it can upset people that are, are, I like to call the new era. If they came in post pandemic, they probably haven't been exposed to this. But on the other hand, we're talking, this is expensive stuff now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're talking direct from tops to buy a 2023 the product, the 23 Bowman draft that this issue is happening with. To buy a, a super jumbo direct from tops is $750. Well, when they, before they sold out. So if you want to buy a box of this product, the minimum price is like 450 or 500. So we're talking like different times. Right. Like, I would open a, a Bowman draft case myself in 2007, 2008. If you pre-ordered it and you knew somebody, you're paying 600 bucks for mm-hmm. a case for right. 10 boxes. Not one box, 10 boxes. So when something is $60 and you get bent over, for lack of a better term, no big... It sucks, don't get me wrong, but... Take your 10 Phil Cokes and put them on Naxcom and, and move on. Exactly. Right? But now we're talking 10 times the price for one box. Yeah. I could see how people are upset about it. But again, to parlay it back to basketball, it's kind of like, all right. There's a green PMG issue. Mm-hmm. Sucks. Sucks. But how many people are playing in that end of the pool? Like, right. like it, what comes to mind for the many versus for the few? Yeah. Like who doesn't want to get a great super fractor? But come on. Now, there was a situation earlier this year, though, with duplicate. And, and actually, I think triplicate in some cases, yeah, super fractors. Yeah. Um, and that this wasn't something that just got stolen. This one concerned me a lot more because they were packed out. And I don't know if it was a printing error or what, and, and their solution, top solution was to just um, buy half of them back with huge astronomical bounties. So it cost them a lot of money. And I know they were in a tough spot, but that buyback then became super enticing and it drove the price of breaks up and it created sort of a a false value for the cards in my opinion. And, and yeah, breaking has always been gambling, but in this case, there's not a forever owner at the end, unless you want, unless it was tops. Right. People were just chasing that bounty. I've seen blowout in different companies offer bounties in the past. Have you ever seen anything like that, though? No, I haven't. And another thing was they were admitting there were two. And like you mentioned, there were sometimes three. They never really addressed that. But the, the double, the bounty for the, it was whoever was first. Right. So you had to claim that you had this one first. <laughs> right. You know, yeah. Now it's just worth what a normal card 
what a normal right. super practice should actually be worth to a collector. Bummer for you, right? Yeah. So that added to the frenzy. Uh, so like I said, those were mistakes that Tops owned up to in some way. So I, I think everyone Tops included here is in agreement that those were bad situations that we want to avoid moving forward. The rest yeah. of the items on this list that I've created, these were all intentional decisions from Tops. They will even call them innovations, although you'll, as you'll see in a moment here, that's that's not necessarily clear and not everyone agrees on that. Um, those of you listening at home might remember Michael Rubin and um, Mahan saying that they innovated more in the baseball card world in one year than Tops had in the 70 years prior. That comment didn't sit well with a lot of people. I'm, I'm guessing, I, I know it didn't sit well with me, Eric. I'm going to say it's safe to assume it didn't sit well with you as either. Correct. Correct. And it's come, it's become a, a not a meme, but a, like a punchline, like 10 times the hobby. Like that's a, a big thing now. 10 times, we're going to 10 times the hobby. No, you're not. And no one even really knows what that means now. Oh, there's no yeah. definition. I mean, I think there's dollar signs attached to it, but 10 times, sure. you know, that, that could be a lot, 10 times the mistakes so far. Um, now I want to, in regard to <laughs> innovation, I want to read something interesting that Ivan watched the breaks tweeted at some point late last week. He wrote, with each new set that comes out, we as collectors should start to weigh whether those changes are innovation or simply novelty. And then he attached a screenshot that explained the difference between the two. It said, novelty is simply an incremental change to an existing product designed to help marketers differentiate their products from the competition. It's the neat factor. So Eric, we're going to go through a list of some of the things we've seen in this last year or two, you know, when Tops has just done more than they did in 70. And I don't know if we have to necessarily classify it as one or the other, but it's a distinction that we should probably at least keep in mind. Uh, and I'm a relic guy here, so I'm going to bring my personal preference into this equation. Let's start with some of the relics and some of the things they've done with relics. They did have the the Victor Wimbanyama first pitch relics. They had the MLB debut patch, the first stitch relics, uh, the first milestone relics. And I think I saw some tops now pieces the other day with a uh, a shirt that Juan Soto wore in his Zoom conference. Yes. We're on Zoom right now, but our, our clothes are just, you know, as valuable <laughs> as they are just for us wearing them. What are your thoughts on how they've handled some of the Relic sets so far? Well, quickly on the Relic topic, when Manny Machado signed with the Padres, they put out a Tops Now Relic using the tablecloth from the press conference. This, But this was pre-Fanatics? Yes. Machado? Okay, I was thinking yeah. it was. Yeah, I, think, I can't remember the year he signed, but it was a year. It was ago. a few years ago, right? Yeah, it was pre-fanatics. Pre-fanatics, so okay. It was lambasted. Might not be the word. It was a joke. Like, what do you mean? You're putting, you're cutting up the tablecloth and the, that he used at the press conference, right? And putting it in cards and selling it. And he definitely so, didn't touch every inch of that no, tablecloth. Clearly, did not. Again, you, you know, Ivan Sweet was very good, like innovation versus novelty. And then another layer to the innovation versus novelty, is it really innovation if you are the monopoly? Yeah, because there's his tweet said there has to be some competition, and, and right. clearly if there's, there's none. No competition, which is, in my opinion, a big driving force behind why all this stuff is selling. Yeah. You know, you and I could say, hey, you should collect Charles Barkley cards. Well, I don't like Charles Barkley. I like LeBron James. Right. Or I like, I like uh, better yet, I like Steph Curry. Steph Curry never had a well, he had the tops, he had the 09 tops, but but for the most part, you can't tell somebody who Victor, I can never pronounce his name one right. by one. Well, like, that's I've had even as a team collector, people will say, you know, well, why don't you just collect pre Panini Pacers? Because there's like hundreds of players that have been on the, right. the team, you know, in the Panini era that don't have tops cards or like right. Tyrese Halliburton, you know. Right. He's like 21 or 23 or whatever he is. Like, right. I don't have any other options or maybe there's leaf stuff, but that's about it. Right. That's part of the catch 22 where you kind of have to, if you want someone who's playing today, you know, 99% of the players playing today are from the Panini, especially in basketball. Uh, yeah. Actually, technically football too, because they tops expired in 15. for football. Yeah. Now I will say, I, I think I'm probably a little more receptive to, the baseball relics than some of the baseball people are. And, okay, yeah. and I'm a bit of a, a relic snob. I mean, there are basketball okay. relics that I won't even touch because of the circumstances. I like the Victor first pitch ones. It was the night before the draft. He went to a Yankees game. You right. know, we're not going to get player worn stuff for him all season from Panini. 
And right. Tops gave us a jersey like immediately. Now, granted, the price was astronomical, but but they sold uh, out. So, you know, it is what it is. That's that's yeah. Uh, the MLB debut patch. I love it. I hope they do something like that for basketball. Their first game, you take the patch off. It's a one on one. They probably will. It's unfortunate that only one person gets it. That's the that's the downside. I know I'm not going to get it. I'm not going to pay up to get it. The first stitch relic. So for those of you that maybe are not baseball people, that is not player worn, not game worn. It is a Fanatics jersey. The first one on that's been produced for that yeah. player, supposedly. <laughs> I can't defend that. I hate that. I do not like that. I, I'm not a big relic guy. I have some in the collection. But for me, it's all about the verbiage on the back of the card. Mm-hmm. Like I need it, even though it might not be true. I need it to say worn by the player in an official national hockey league, major league baseball, national basketball association. Right. Ignorance is bliss, right? Tell me he wore it. It must say they were, it was worn by them in an official game and it must say the league. It doesn't, Mm -hmm. it can't say worn in an official game. That's not good enough for me. Yeah. And, and people try to, you know, put that on tops and Panini now. And, and I have a Roger Maris patch from upper deck sweet spot. And I researched it and it's from a Cracker Jack Legends game. See, and, yeah. And it says game worn on the card. They, and people they are did like that with a lot of uh DiMaggio athletics. Yeah. Well, he was a, a hitting coach. Yeah, yeah. I right. actually was looking at one this morning. I wanted to buy that card for years. I've got some Com C funds. There's one on there nice. for like way too much that I'm, oh, I'm yeah. keep talking myself out of all the time. Now the the milestone relics, I love those because those are very specific from what I've sure. seen. And you know what? I'll be honest. The Zoom stuff doesn't bother me uh, <laughs> because, you know, if you don't like it, don't buy it. But right. um, I think there is a market for it. If if I actually liked a good team that was signing relevant players uh, yeah. and they had a press conference, I would be all over that. Um, fortunately, yeah. I, I don't have that decision to make because no one I follow is really all that relevant. Okay. One thing that I'm I'm kind of worried about when it comes time for Tops to take over the basketball license, I'm afraid Tops Chrome is not going to be um, what we remember it. Uh, in other words, and I've seen with baseball, the printing quality looks a lot worse. There's a million parallels. And uh, I'm going to ask you about just three of them specifically, because we could talk about all the different parallels. So um, we've got the Sub-Zero Frozen Fractors, that that were at one point serial number two negative five. We've got the well. This is this is I I say tops chrome. I thought they were called pumpkin fractors. I found out it was in a paper set called the Jack O' Lantern foil. I I'm I can't keep up with this. So anyway, a Jack O' Lantern card uh, and the taco fractors. So talk me through this frozen fractors. Were you do you like that at all? Do you think that's goofy? I'm not a fan, and I'll tell you why. They're super scarce, which is great. But they look a lot like another parallel called the negative refractor. Okay. They look like the negative refractor just frozen. <laughs> like the frozen look to it, like a blue haze to it. Like you mentioned, I think they're up to like 20 plus parallels per card now. Yeah. And that's another thing. That's just for Topps Chrome. That right. doesn't count. Topps Chrome Sapphire, Topps Chrome Sonic, Topps Chrome you know, Cosmic. I think for 2022, I think they did 10 or 11 different Topps Chrome sets as individual releases. Yeah. Tops Black is a big thing. Like, there's just so many. Um, as far as the pumpkin foil or whatever they're calling that, yeah, it, it's seasonal. I could see it getting popular, like, now, this time of year, Santa Claus cards. Right. Take a big bump. In, in July, the, um, what's Joey Chestnut, his cards see a big bump mm-hmm. around the, the, the hot dog eating contest time. I know. Uh, every May, I buy them on Com C and just, just sit on just them, make them. a few bucks on each one. Exactly. Um, now, I, I will say uh, regarding those parallels, if they were just inserted as just new parallels and, and Tops wasn't trying to, you know, make a big deal about it, I think I would be more accepting of them because, sure. I mean, Optic gave us, uh, I think there was a toilet paper parallel at one point. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, so if they Old just threw them in there, it's just another parallel. But the fact that they're trying to present it as something that's just game changing here, that's now, a little too much for me. The last one, the Taco Fractor, now that was, one is as a Taco Bell enthusiast. That one but is. But to me, that was a blunder because they didn't talk about it enough. They didn't. If they would have said from the get go, all they said that these are rare. That's all they said. Mm-hmm. If they would have said from the the get go what it was, the first player 
to steal a base in the World Series that has a Taco Fractor card, and you have that card, you get a what it wind up being fifteen thousand dollars. Fifteen thousand, yeah, Taco Bell for life, or fifteen thousand, whichever one gets used up first. If they would have said that in June and not October, that probably would have helped the product more. Well, when it first came out, they didn't even say it was linked with Taco Bell, and you had people comparing the pictures of the taco and they actually said oh they stole this graphic from the taco bell app right it looks like the taco bell and lo and behold yeah they did like you would have thought that they could have had some more marketing behind that but again it was so scarce that i think what is who who marte who started who who won the i don't remember you're asking the the wrong guy all i know is it like it was some could have had it for like 300 bucks right it was some common guy that wound up stealing the first base i will say and 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 i do i definitely put this in the gimmick category i don't know if it was good for cards or not but it had me looking first off i had to even see what baseball teams were left and then it had me looking at players that i thought could steal a base and right. at least thinking about it, because uh, as my listeners know, I love Taco Bell. I talk about them at the end of every episode. <laughs> so it at least had me thinking about it uh, more from a practical standpoint, though. Now, uh, another big, big thing that Michael Rubin uh, is really excited about is creating experiences. So there was this uh, Bowman. I don't know if you follow this from the baseball side, but there was this Bowman green auto redemption thing with Victor Wimbanyama where people got to fly out. And yeah. um, I think they were trying to see which one, who would get the first card created. Yeah, it was, right? a it was an inscription. To be, yeah, the contest to get his first signed Bowman University. Okay, so that was an experience type thing. Um, additionally, when they had national, I think it was National Trading Card Day, they brought in athletes and rappers. Yeah. And I think Kevin Hart was there, so comedians as well. I'll be the first to admit a lot of that stuff looks pretty fun. But in your opinion, does this do anything to move the industry forward? Does this promote collecting? Do you think this points people back to cards? A little bit. I mean, obviously, you know, if if a young, especially a younger person is seeing their favorite uh, athlete slash personalities is, is doing these activities, they're more likely to jump in. Mm-hmm. Conversely, I think it leads to higher prices. I mean, we're going to get to the Tom Brady stuff later. Yeah. But. I think there's a cost to having Tom Brady commercial advertising for a product. Yeah. If, if people think that uh, Tom Brady's doing this just because he's friends with Michael Rubin, they are uh, terribly mistaken here. I believe he has investment in the company. I'm not a hundred percent. I've read that as well. I don't know the specifics of it. I don't know if they're revealed, but yes, I've read that as well. Now, another couple methods he's used to bring people to these spots would be like Fanatics Live. I guess he's kind of trying to create a community there. Although really they're, they're trying to get a jump on what some other people have already done and and take that over. And then there are initiatives like the MVP buyback promo. Now, I don't remember seeing anything like that with basketball. I think we've seen it several times with baseball now. So can you explain the premise behind that and then maybe give some of your thoughts about the program? You know, being basketball and being your audience mainly basketball guys why mosaic actually was born mm-hmm. if you remember that yes you've probably are you referring to the the replay fiasco correct yeah which led to the birth in 16 of mosaic and right being released every year since mm-hmm. and expanded even draft mosaic i think or whatever everything it, now yeah the we won't get into the whole rookie card debate <laughs> but last year with tops chrome baseball the set, 225 cards on the checklist. The last five cards being, you know, J-Rod, Bobby Witt Jr., uh, I think C.J. Abrams, a couple other guys. Big names, right? Big names. Big driving 22 product. Okay. Longer, but that's a whole other stuff. <laughs> so everyone was excited. Tops Chrome, history, everyone's excited. Everyone starts ripping Tops Chrome when it comes out. And remember, these are the Witt, the J-Rod, they're short prints. I'm doing air quotes, you know. Mm-hmm. They're the, the soft short prints. They're not as common as the first 220 cards, but they're there. They're part of the set. But the product starts getting ripped. And after a couple days, I think after by day two, no one has seen a J-Rod or a Bollywood Junior. Like nobody had seen one on eBay, on social media. And we're talking cases and cases getting ripped and no one's seen them. I, well, I do remember this now. Now, yeah. now you remember, right? Yes. So what are these cards? Turns out there was, I'm doing the air quotes again, a 
manufacturing issue, Top said, in the production and pack out of these cards. So what they wound up doing is releasing silver packs that were to be given to people that bought the product in the first place from the hobby distributors that they bought it from. You know, you bought one box, you got a hobby, you got a silver pack type of deal. Mm -hmm. And then they also, and I don't think this was officially announced, but it's a strong belief by many of us that that's when the MVP buyback program started. Oh, you know, the MVP of, of whoever it is, it turned out to be Goldschmidt and Otani in 2022. Their base chrome cards and their refractors and their color from the regular issue will now be, you know, once the in October when the award is announced, you can trade your cards in for store credit at your local card store. That proved to be enormous because now you've got this 2022 Topps Chrome product that's already packed, shipped, and on shelves that doesn't have J-Rod and, and, and Wit. There's they're no not, value in it. They're, they're missing. They're literally missing. So now they've added this, this value by adding these MVP buybacks. You're okay. going to get $20 store credit for a base Chrome color. That's insane. Right. And it gets people into the shop. It gets them into the shop. It gets them buying 22 wax when they would not normally. You could open a 22 wax blaster and literally pull a base card of Paul Goldschmidt, which no offense to D-Bags fans out there, is a hobby nobody. Right. And get $20 for it, where if there was no buyback program, that's a quarter, maybe mm -hmm. a quarter, a dime. So you're getting a $20 buyback. That program turned out to be an enormous success. Sold a lot of product, brought a lot of eyes to the product, brought people taking their cards and turning them into their local shops. And my personal opinion, making a big mistake using those credits to buy more wax. Right. But that's what Tops and the stores want you to do. Here's, you know, you've seen it a lot this year with the buyback program with, with Acuna and Otani. You'll see, I went to my ALCS, I had five of these Otani base cards, and they gave me a box of Topps Chrome Update. Like, okay, that's... Because they're seeing it as free money. Right. Whereas they're not seeing the opportunity to buy singles, but that's a whole nother discussion. That's, yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> that's, we'll always have that debate. Yes, exactly. So that's the, the buyback program in a nutshell, and it, I don't think it's going to stop now. I mean, it. People once twenty three came out, they're like they're gonna have to do the program, and Acuna's running away with it, and Otani's running away with it, and right away, boom, 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 prices were super high. So, in your opinion, is is this you know obviously it was a response to a mistake initially? Is it something that you think should stay in place, or is it something that uh, you well, know because if it does, it's going to be for basketball too, probably. Sure. At this point, I can't see it not being a thing because. There's famous pictures online. Some guy wheel had a, a wheel a wheelbarrow of redemptions and wheeled it in. So I can't see them saying, you know what, this we're just going to cut this out, because look at it from from Topps's point of view, and the stores. You've already sold these people this product in Topps Chrome. Now they're taking base from it, giving it back to you for yeah. more Topps for they're, more product. They're printing money and buying printed money with it. Correct. Yeah. Now. The other aspect of it is I happen to be a fan of both Acuna and Otani. So I collect both of them. Peel back the onion a bit, a layer. Now I collect, personally, I like what I like to call real Topps gold, Topps chrome gold, real. Mm -hmm. Number to 50, not waves, not right. I would call it. I would call it the true gold. Yeah, I, the true word bothers me, but I like to use real. Okay. <laughs> so it's the same thing, really. But... Now you add on the fact that there's so many Topps Chrome brands. Remember, there's Sapphire, there's Black, there's Sonic, Cosmic, all these other brands. Once Topps Chrome comes out, after two or three weeks, there's another Topps Chrome out, or there's another brand out. Who's opening, especially the inflated prices, who's opening the product? I mean, the buyback does help, but realistically, who's going to spend you know four, five, six weeks after the product's out? You're gonna yeah. spend three, four hundred dollars for a hobby box. We're when we're they're creating the a bunch of cards that nobody really wants. No, the product's already made. It's out mm -hmm. there. It's in the wild. How how like 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 I said, and the the additional layer on the onion for me is being Otani and Acuna gold refractor collector. They're numbered to fifty. That's a hard. So number. they're turning those in as well. You're getting a two hundred dollar credit Ooh. to turn those in. Now. You add that on the fact that since they're numbered to 50 and the product is so expensive to begin with, 
all 50 don't see the wild. They don't mm -hmm. all get open in 50. So now to find one in the first place is difficult. Now you're fighting against the buyback program. Right. The buy We don't know yet. Still with the 22s, we don't know what the fate of these cards are. We think that Fanatics Tops, Tops is going to have them, the players sign them and use them to like for archives or another to promote another product. Like you get a, a signed copy of this gold refractor Otani in mm. whatever product they decide to use it. Now, to me, once the card is signed, it's not the card anymore. I'm not an autograph guy. Right. So how are would they stamp it again? Like I mean, we talked to we it. referred to replay. That's what yes. they did with replay. They used a right. stupid green marker. They would stamp it somehow and have it signed. And it, since they're individually numbered, it's not difficult to tell. Mm -hmm. So you've got all these layers. It's very difficult. So you're fighting more forces now. You know, I hate the needle in the haystack analogy, but to, to find them in the first place mm -hmm. is difficult enough. And now you're adding on this, this, oh, I can get, why would I sell you this card raw when I automatically get $200 just for right. turning? Give me 300 Like trying to that. find one of those Joe Sackage plates back in 96 without eBay and, and everything exactly. else, right? Exactly. Well, yeah, I, I don't uh, envy your situation there. So hopefully, uh, hopefully that ends up a lot better than we anticipate here. All right. The last thing we have to talk about are some of these retro first Bowman cards where they've made rookie prospect cards for players from different eras. I believe DA Card World had a pretty large bounty out for the Babe Ruth, which yep. I don't know if there's if people actually wanted that card or if it was just once again a, a bounty thing. It worked. <laughs> It yeah, it did work. And and I don't know. The whole thing seems goofy to me. They're obviously trying to move a product, but that was nothing compared to the most recent initiative where they put Tom Brady Expos autographs in a baseball set and they got everyone worked up in a frenzy in the process. Even 78-year-old Hall of Famer Rod Carew, if you believe that he is tweeting from his own account, but he tweeted out, maybe I'm just a grumpy old man. And I respect Tom Brady, but is baseball so unpopular that we have to pretend a football player was a baseball player to get attention? Well, Eric, what do you think? Is this a bad look for baseball? Is this something special Tops is providing baseball fans with? What's going on here? Well, we touched on it a, a little bit before earlier. Is it good? Sure, it's good. But at what cost? Mm -hmm. um, are the boxes $750 direct from Tops if there's no Tom Brady commercial and there's no Tom Brady, you know, sign cards, which obviously there's a fee involved with that. Probably cheaper. How much cheaper? Maybe $100, $150, cheaper. You never know. But to deny the success of the commercial is is not a good idea. Right. The commercial is very successful. We're you talking about it right now on a basketball right show. <laughs> there, exactly. There's And speaking of basketball shows, this is not a new concept. Back in 1991, Upper Deck put the original SP1 was Michael Jordan mm -hmm. taking AP in a White Sox jersey. Right. In 1991, Upper Deck baseball. So this is not something that's new. Like, I'm not expecting Rod's crew to remember that, but. Right. Well, I know uh, the basketball people um, that weren't around in 2014 think it's crazy when I tell them that they used Andrew Wiggins to move baseball cards. I don't know that's if you right. remember that. Um, yeah. That's how popular the, the Wiggins chase was at that point. And now, you know, he's completely irrelevant in terms of the hobby. He's hobby irrelevant. There's a saying, basically, I've adopted the version of it for the hobby. And essentially, the hobby is a fickle B word. Mm -hmm. you know, the, the hobby is what it is. Like, people are like, this person should be more popular. And, you know, if a Jordan card's 100 bucks, maybe the other guys are 10. Maybe. It's just how the hobby works. It's not logical um, for baseball. People ask me, why isn't Devers worth more money? Mm -hmm. It just is what it is. Came out the same sets as Okunia and Otani. They all came out in 18, and he's 10 cents on the dollar. You put Yankee guys. pinstripes on anyone, right? and he's just more popular. There were better players than Mickey Mantle. People right. don't care. That's right. And it, that's not going to change. Mm -hmm. Like Back to the basketball thing. Luke has done nothing in, in, in the world of basketball. Luke has done nothing. Right. And remember, if you're listening, that is at those back pages. That's yeah. where your messages yes. go. That, that's me. That's as far as accomplishments. Right. No, no I, I, I get what you're saying, though. I, no I titles, no, you know, no rings, no MVPs. 
I'm, I, I collect Luca, all right? <laughs> I do because he was cheap in 2018. Mm-hmm. But I'm saying the hobby is what it is. Is it fair? No, it's not fair. Right. This is the hobby. It's, it, it's, yeah, it's not, it is what it I is. I can't see that changing. Like when you compare Shaq prices to, to Kobe prices. Right. Just big men in general. And that card was something. Card for card. Even mm-hmm. card for card. Same set, same insert, same parallel. How much more is Kobe than Shaq price wise? You know, people are were using that logic coming into the pandemic and saying, wait, all these big men are severely undervalued. And right. those of us that have been here forever were saying, you know, it's just a, it's just the way it is. The big men are not going to be the investment vehicles. All right. I've said it before, but one thing that's really concerned me during this whole transition process is that Tops and Fanatics brought in a bunch of business people like Ruben and Mayhan to run things who honestly, it doesn't seem like they have any real experience in the card world. And I think one of my friends nailed it on the head recently when all this Brady stuff started popping up, he said something to the effect of Tops is more interested in manufacturing and selling gimmicks than they are cards. I'd like to think that things will settle down a little bit before they start making basketball cards again. I mean, that's kind of why we went through everything here today, just to show the basketball people what has been going on. But uh, if this is any indication, you know, I I don't have a lot of confidence headed this way. Uh, Eric, I've always enjoyed our brief interactions on social media. I'm glad we were able to have like a a full length, a real conversation today. We might have to do this again sometime later on. Before I let you go, Feel free here to plug anything you're working on or anything you're looking for. Go ahead and give us your social media handles in the process. These next few moments here are yours. First off, thank you for having me on. It's been a blast. It time flies when you're doing these type of things because it's just so much fun. Uh, I'm at, at those back pages on everything, pretty much social media, YouTube, everywhere. You can find me. I think Google it or whatever you may be. I, I want to close by saying that collecting is a marathon. It's not a sprint. You cannot judge people by what they're showing you. Everyone tends to show the better stuff like, oh, I got this great hit in a box. They didn't mention they opened 10 boxes to get it. That type of thing. Focus is very important as far as collecting. I definitely admit that I'm terrible at it because I have the attention span of a gnat. But for me personally, it works. Like I I feel that when you're in this hobby, you should be learning every day. Mm -hmm. try to learn something new every day not only for yourself but to share with others i've collected long enough now to see all phases of it so it can be very daunting at the same time if anyone's listening that's just getting into it but remember that it's a marathon and not a sprint collecting is obviously very important but so are the people Mm -hmm. like the friendships you make and in closing and i apologize for being so long-winded but it is who i am you cannot underestimate the friend you're going to make in this hobby and how they're going to help you both in the hobby, outside of the hobby, in your collecting goals. Yeah, it's funny how that works. And and I'm hoping one of the goals of this show is to kind of uh, take a snapshot of some of those moments for people and, and they can see how that plays out. So thank you once again, Eric. I appreciate it. My pleasure. All right. Well, there you have it. Maybe there was something we talked about today that resonated with you. Feel free to reach out to me on social media. You can find me on Instagram under at Wax Museum Podcast or X under the handle at Wax Museum PC. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcast. Hit up the website for my affiliate links, tag Taco Bell, and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast. 